It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, everyone. Hey, friends. Happy Tuesday. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and welcome to Talent Talk. As usual, I have with my uh, wonderful team found two fantastic guests who are talented and smart and will give us the secrets to everything we're doing wrong with talent. Well, at least they'll try, I hope. So, you know, this this show's really about trying to learn something new from talented people, trying to find out what people are doing with their talent, how they're managing today and whatever is going on. And of course, at the time of this show, we are still knee deep in a pandemic and living with 2020. Uh, you may be hopefully listening far in the future and thinking, oh, that's such a memory. But right now we're living in it. And so we'll be talking a little bit about what's going on in our world and maybe how we're helping our people. There's been so many wonderful stories around uh, talent uh, since I started this show. And a lot of them I put in my uh, first book, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that out uh, wherever you buy your books online. And pretty soon you'll be hearing my annoying uh, promotion for my next book that'll be coming out, but we'll talk about that later, maybe when things calm down a little bit here with 2020. So, you know, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you would like to tune in live, you can always do that. If you tune in after the fact, or maybe you can't always catch us live, that's okay. Most of you actually uh, subscribe and listen to us on Spotify or on iHeartRadio or iTunes or go to talenttalkradio.com, wherever it is. There's no excuse not to find us. We're on every like platform you could think of. Just go to the one that you like and subscribe so that you get alerted to whenever there's a new episode. Or maybe you'd like to re-listen to this episode. And uh, when you do that, then you know the artificial intelligence does all the work for us. It will ping you, let you know when something is new, and that way you won't miss it. We also really enjoy doing uh, sort of live tweeting for this show. So Angela, my social media coordinator, she kind of listens for all the best things that we might say today, puts them on Twitter, adds links to where to find our guests, maybe books they may have mentioned, any good resource that might be hard for you to jot down if you're listening in the car or or jogging or wherever you may be listening to your podcast, um, you can find them on Twitter. So go to at peopleg 2 or you can follow the hashtag talent talk. That's all one word. And you can interact with us, even if it's weeks, months, years later, find us on there. You can find the guests and ask us questions, argue with what we said, agree with what we said, whatever. We just want to have a great conversation with those of you that are tuning in listening. All right, let's get to my guests uh, now that I've been pumping it up long enough. And I'm going to do my best to say everyone's names correctly. But for anyone who's listened to this show long enough, I generally screw up names you know, it's just become a thing and I lean into it and screw them up even more, but we'll see how I do today. So my guest on today's show, my first guest will be John uh, Bernatovich, uh, founder of, uh, uh, now see, Willery, I think that's right. So I've either messed up one of the two, He'll John will let me know in a second, uh, staffing and consulting company and eight for HR and payroll. And then my second guest will be DJ Eidson. It looks like Edison, but it's Eidson, uh, co-founder and CEO of Limitless Minds. Uh, like I said, DJ will come in, in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get my first guest in here and find out if I said everything correctly. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's Bernadovich, but it's been mis- mispronounced every single time anybody's Not- given it a first crack, which which you got really close. And it's That's- Willery, which will mean a lot to my son, Will, and my daughter, Mallory. We combine There those we go. Willery. Okay. With the name, so... Yeah, well, uh, I, I got close. I guess that I'll get sec- I'll get at a participation uh, ribbon soon in the mail. So great. <laughs> well, how are you today, John? I'm doing really well. I appreciate you having me on the show. Congrats on all your success. Look forward to 
seeing all the promotion of your second book. Oh, fantastic. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Uh, what's important for us to know about you? I've picked up that you have at least two children, uh, naming them your company after them. But what's important for us to know today for our conversation? Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost, I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm an Akron guy. Uh, Chris can see it behind me. I have my, my Browns memorabilia. So I'm super excited that we actually have a decent football team this year. Although last weekend was somewhat of a buzzkill. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. For my work, I, I actually own three companies. I've been an entrepreneur for the last 15 years, and I spend the lion's share of my time uh, trying to, to grow and, and deliver high-quality results for my clients at Willery. And as I mentioned, that's named after my son, Will, who's in seventh grade, and daughter, Mallory, who's in fifth grade. So give them a shout out. And uh, what we do at Willery is we really focus in on staffing and consulting in the area of HR, payroll, and HR technology, primarily serving the mid-market, mid-market-sized companies. So we do direct hire search, staff augmentation, and HR and payroll. And then our consulting practice, we really focus in on technology. And then that technology leads into us helping them ensure best practices, they're efficient and effective with things like process improvement, talent development, total rewards and workforce management. Well, it sounds like you're a busy guy and I certainly understand that. Uh, probably a bit like me where if you have five minutes to not do something, you'll probably find something to go do. So it sounds like uh, maybe two peas in the pod there. And, and I mentioned my book, but I know I heard that you're writing a book called HR Like a Boss. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this has been a passion project for me. It's, uh, my hope is to create a movement and I know that's kind of a, a, a big, broad statement these days, but uh, it's kind of go big or go home. And really, to me, uh, doing HR like a boss is defined by connecting people to the purpose of your organization in an amazingly awesome way. And this takes courage and leadership. And it's, it, it's a tremendous responsibility for those that are willing to take it on. But uh, the, the opportunity in front of an HR professional is tremendous. And the book is really there to help guide and direct and, sh and share some stories of, of my own, as well as those other HR professionals that have been through the experience of doing amazingly awesome HR. So how does someone do HR like a boss? Because I think one of the challenges that most HR people will tell you is that they're not the boss. Uh, they're stuck in the middle sometimes between what the CEO or the C-level people want and then what the staff wants. And you know, they can be a buffer, they could be the referee, they might be the, I don't know, the person delivering bad news or good news. So, you know, how, how does someone, for lack of a better word, stuck in the middle, sort of, you know, show up and, and, and do it like a boss? Yeah, I think first and foremost, Chris, to your point, they have to leverage that place that they are, right? You might say stuck, some might say, say, say sandwiched, whatever word you want to use. They're <laughs> kind of in between the aisle of the employer and the employees. And so for me, first and foremost, the, the main premise of the book and the number one thing I'm getting at is you have to look at what you're doing and own everything within your, your, your span of control. You have to take ownership of everything. And, and in my opinion, the best way to do that is, is to look at your job or look at your responsibility or look at your department as a business and run that as a business. I, I took on a tremendous more amount of responsibility in my mind when I became a sole owner of my firm, Willery. And that changed over time. I used to work in corporate America and the, just the level of responsibility was different. So that I own everything within my span of control, responsibility and mindset is paramount. And the second thing, which I know sometimes for those that work in HR for an extended period of time, this could get tainted over time, but you truly have to love working with people. You got to love working with people. And if you don't love working with people, then the, the silly harebrained things that they do every day that makes you scratch your head is going to cause you to take steps back. So your passion for people and their growth and development is paramount in their success. Well, and, and, and so you, you mentioned sort of that uh, people part. And I noticed that the best HR folks, whether they are generalists, whether they are the CHRO, right? If they are really uh, clear and understand what the company's purpose and direction are and and, and, and to some extent, I mean, the, the leaders in the organization have to be very articulate about that as well. But if, if the, H, the HR department uh, really understands that well, then they can hire people and direct people and manage people and do all of that in alignment with that. And I find that's when they have the least amount of problems, right? Because you're, you're bringing in good people who get why they are there. 
uh, instead of it being, well, this is a great person who can do a great job, but if they don't align with the purpose, right? They don't understand why the company's doing what they're doing and is trying to do some other version of that, then there's that rub and there's that pressure. Like you said, then it's like that HR is sort of in that sandwich and you have a piece of wheat toast on the top and a piece of soggy dry white bread on the bottom. And those things just don't go together, right? Do, do you agree with that? Or is there sort of more to, to, to that uh, thought process there? Well, having been in the staffing ba- business for 15 years, frankly, I've seen a ton of companies hire for skill, right? As it relates yeah. to, they have to know this system, they have to be proficient at this particular function, whether it's benefits administration or payroll, or even as a CHRO. But in essence, they end up, that, that, that doesn't lead to success. What leads to success is finding the right cultural fit, as you mentioned, finding the right person that fits within your organization, brings the diverse knowledge base and skill and perspective on things that can broaden how an organization grows and develops. So to me, it's less about the skill. It's more about the fit and the cultural connection. It's so funny. Some of the best people that I've ever moved into positions or hired into positions, it didn't fit that classic. Like if I wrote up, what does my ideal candidate look like on a piece of paper? And I, that's an area and I'm not sure how to solve it, but you know, we go and we put out these ads and we say, you must have this and you must have that. And, you must, and then it's like all kinds of people don't apply and don't ever come to you because, well, I don't, I don't have an MBA or I don't have this thing. And yet they could be absolutely perfect for the position. I don't know how we bridge that gap. I guess maybe as a staffing guy, you might not have a better answer for that. But, you know, I've, I've just been fortunate to bring in really good people, maybe at a lower level, and then be able to use as, as our first strategy to fill positions up was to look for great people who are talented people, even if their resume doesn't necessarily align with the position. Are they a talented jack of all trades, Jane of all trades type person that can 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 do that job? Um, are there other things that people should be thinking about as they're trying to backfill or bring people in, in, in to fill those positions? I think number one, if you have a great culture with people that are aligned they're your best source for that talent to come in and fit within your company. So uh, referrals, asking them if they know people, having them keep an eye open for conversations they may have, um, whether that might be via Zoom or uh, they might hear through a friend that someone's looking and they know they're a super great person and they have a tremendous work ethic and they, they do things right. And maybe they may not be a fit for the accounting clerk job you have or the director of IT, uh, but they may they may be able to fit somewhere else within your company. That's like, we want to have as many great people within our group as possible, because with great people, great things get accomplished. I often feel like sometimes people don't want to move someone into a new position, even though they could be good at it, because we have this fear of loss, right? We have this fear that well, if that person doesn't work out, they're really really good where they are right now, and if I move into this new spot. They may not work out, which means they may leave or I may have to fire them because, you know, they were the head of customer service, now the head of sales. Well, that didn't work out. Now I've lost. Now I'm two, two positions down and I've lost that great person. Is, is there a, a, probably not an equation, but is there a, you know, a, a right way to kind of think about that? Is it to take that chance? Is it better to take that chance and maybe it doesn't work out sometimes if to, to be able to take someone really great and move them up in the organization? I think it's a calculated risk, but if with every risk, if you put a plan together, that you work together with that individual employee to say, here are your deficiencies from a skill perspective. Mm-hmm. We think you're really great, have the right leadership, you fit the culture, you, you manage people well, but you don't know this technical skill. Here's the one, two, three, four things we need to do with you over the next two years to ramp up that skill level. I think really amazingly awesome people that know what they're doing, figure stuff out. And if they're running toward that and they understand the importance of it within their career progression and you have a plan with them, then it's, it's the sky's the limit in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I know your firm Willery is celebrating here 10 years of business here in this month of October of 2020. So congratulations. And uh, much like my firm, you guys are 100% virtual. Now we went virtual in 09. I think you went virtual back in 10, 2010. So, um, you know, how has it been working as a remote company? Um, maybe what was some of the, what was that journey like? I know when we when we first did it, it was don't tell anyone. We pretended that we weren't remote, right? We were operating remote, but pretending we had brick and mortar and we were, 
out there. And now today it's like we're, it's a badge of honor that we've been remote for so long and that we started so much earlier than everybody else. So what's that journey been like for you? It's it very personal how I, how I came to it. When we had my second child, my wife, um, we had met Mallory. I took a month off of work. I'd worked in a traditional brick and mortar office. And prior to that, worked in a corporate America setting. And when I returned to work, I realized how much I missed my family. And I thought there's got to be a way that I can get the best of both worlds. So I decided to start Willery, and which I ran out of my basement for the first three or four years, frankly, and, and just kind of went down there and just worked my butt off day after day after day and tried to deliver quality results, hired our first employee within the first year, and then subsequently just found people that fit within our culture and who were, were really good at what they did and just so happened to want to work from home as well. Because it's a, it's a different, at least pre-COVID, it was it was a different mindset than than most people had traditionally thought of work. Yeah, I know. For us, uh, it was always about actually escaping people. Remote work for us was escaping, right? It was I can go in this room and I can put my head down and I can work really hard and I can meet with my people and I can meet with teams and we can do stuff. But like, I have maybe four or five hours of uninterrupted focus time to get things done and. And that focus time may include sales calls and that may include outward things out into the, the world, but it's not internal, right? I'm not having internal meetings and I'm not having people in my office all the time and I'm not, you know, doing things that are a distraction to the real work. And of course, now with everyone being home and, and of course, it's a little bit, it's sort of we're in a little bit of flux here. Some people have gone back to work. Some have, my wife has finally gone back as a teacher. So we'll see if that sticks, but it, that that mix is a lot different, right? It's like now everyone's home and there's bandwidth issues and there's noise and there's, you know, and uh, you are seeing everyone at lunch and are you getting that much time? So, you know, it, has this been, I guess maybe we should talk about this pre-COVID, has this been a, a strategy that you guys have used to, to, to get great talent, to, to have people maybe you couldn't find in your backyard, right? To do, to, to do a particular job. Yeah, for like I said before, it was really selfish for me why I did it in the beginning. But as I the firm progressed and realized what was happening in the marketplace, it became a differentiator for us. And I, I'd say for sure there it broadened our ability to hire people pretty much anywhere. So that that we just weren't relegated to somewhere nearby our office, which I think companies are are seeing that quite a bit now. And then so so now that we're in the the world that we are, our, our differentiator has to be. So what do we do to attract that talent and retain them? So really think our, our focus on what it is that we do. People have to be passionate for the HR and payroll community. That's that's important. Our culture, which I know you you care quite a bit about and we talked about a bit. And then over time, if you keep doing the right things the right way with the right people, you get a reputation, which is usually a good one. And then the community ends up applauding that or caring about it either through business or referrals or different ways of recommending our firm. So those are the things that we've done, just kind of sticking to the basics, treat people the way they want to be treated, stick to the core values that we've established as a firm and just do it steadily as well as we can every single day. Yeah, and that that idea of location bias, really, I'm not sure I ever thought I would see a day that it wasn't that sort of permeating through, you know, through our country and it has seemed to have undone itself a little bit. I mean, they people have gone, well, I guess we really can work remote. And I guess, geez, you can't really live on a farm and wherever. As long as you have Wi-Fi, you can you don't have to be in Santa Monica or in New York or in you know, wherever the uh people were kind of, I guess, clustering, right? Because it was a talent pool and it was a, a job pool for them. So we'll we'll see if it sticks, but it's been really interesting to see. Minds changed forcefully, but changed, <laughs> you know, so it, it's interesting. But, you know, even if you are remote, even if you are doing these things, you still have to do them well. You still have to think about your people and your culture and your company and really feed that in a way that is sustainable over a long period of time. Even more, you could do it really good for one year and then do it terrible for nine, right? And it would kind of wipe all that stuff away. And I know your organization uh, has recently won an award. I think it's your sixth year in a row of the North Coast 99 that recognizes the best companies for attracting and retaining top performers. Maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that uh, award. I haven't heard of the North Coast 99. Of course, I'm not on the North Coast. That's probably why. 
How do you guys achieve that? And what do you think you're doing to have that success? So first and foremost, we've hired really great people. So that that's at the foundation of it. We've been fortunate for that. We're, we're in the staffing business and we, we tend to think we have an expertise in that. So hiring great people is a core competency. Then from there, once we, we hire these, these people they, they, and they become part of our team and we immerse them into our organization, we're very intentional with how we onboard them with the tools that we're using and the relationships that we want to establish with people. And that's the hardest part. And the thing I get the question the most is how do you have people establish relationships when they're never seeing one another? So we can do that through Zoom. We can do that through Teams. We can do that through collaboration. So we're really intentional about that. Then we work really hard on teaching what I call key life and personal skills, things that are going to make you a better human being, not only in work, but at home. So we've studied EQ, emotional intelligence. We've studied all the the factors within crucial conversations, crucial accountability. And now we're working through what we're calling consultative selling and uh, using uh, a book we just read called uh, Getting Naked, um, which was a unique book about a, a company actually in San Francisco, Fable about just doing great things by your customers and then people will follow you. So we have those life skills and then we have a performance management process. That's a part of the fabric of what we do. It's, it's not every day. It's not every week, but at least once a month, we're talking about progress and how individual employees are, are able to grow and develop. And, and we ensure that there's proper communication. And then we recognize and reward uh, the team throughout ensuring that they know that when they're doing a good job, other people know that as well. So we really stayed, stayed honed in on that. And th- those are the key ways by which we've, we've been able to not only great, bring in great people, but keep them within the firm. And, and that's not easy to do. It's easy to say, but that's really not easy to do. I mean, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, really intentional focus on where you're going to grow. And what I find really interesting about what you said was, you know, I, I noticed that if any person does a little bit of work on their EQ, on, the, on how they are as an employee, as a leader inside of work, seems to benefit their personal relationships. And any sort of work they do on their personal relationships seems to benefit work as well, right? This is, uh, I think for so long, they were in kind of two buckets and things have really started to to maybe be more of a Venn diagram, right? There's some overlap there where we, yeah, we might have our work self and our family self, but, you know, how we communicate and the things that we do and all of that can really be a, a huge difference. It can be great difference, uh, to bringing us better results and to connecting with our people in better ways. So, I mean, uh, hats off to you guys for being able to do that so well and being recognized for so many years. Um, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you uh, two really important questions. And the first one is, is there a book that you're reading right now or that you typically read that you, besides getting naked, uh, that maybe you suggest people check out? Yeah, that was a really great one. Easy to re- easy read and great for collaboration within your team. If if you're trying to provide great service, I give tons of credit. I, I just finished uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, so mm-hmm. that was really cool. She did an awesome job, and then I, I loved her rum- rumbling with vulnerability. So she she dove into that, and I'm also reading a friend's book, Steve Brown's HR Rising. So our local Cleveland Sherm chapter has a book club. And that's the book they selected. And so every, every week we're getting together um, in the mornings on Friday to talk about his book. Very cool. And if anyone does Audible, I would say Dare to Lead is probably one of my more favorite of the B'nai Brown books to listen to. She actually kind of goes off script a couple times and, you know, kind of just does her own thing inside of uh, uh, the Audible version, which is unusual. I think that and uh, some of the Malcolm Gladwell stuff has been really good on Audible. So. Anyways, final question, super important. How can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more? If they want to work with you, they want to hire you, they want to follow you, know more, see pictures of your kids, I'm kidding. Whatever it is they want to do, how do they find out more about you? So first off, emails, john, J-O-H-N, at willery.com, W-I-L-L-O-R-Y.com. I'll give you my cell phone if you want to text or call me. That's totally cool, 330-819-1126. And then you can follow me on social media. It's John, J-O-H-N, Bernadovich, B-E-R-N-A-T-O-V-I-C-Z. I'll give you a quiz if you can spell that right on the first pass, which I know you won't. Uh, and then we're my company's Willery One, so W-I-L-L-O-R-Y, the number one. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show today, John. 
Uh, and I really uh, wish you best success. And hopefully we can have you come back at some point in the future and give us an update on all the great things you're doing. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. And then we'll bring in my uh, second guest, DJ Eidson. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Town Talk Radio Show. Don't forget if you missed my first guest, John Bernatovich. I hope I'm saying that right. He did give us a, an example. You know, I, if, I owed, if I owed a quarter every time I said someone's name wrong, I'd be bankrupt. So uh, anyways, you can listen to his interview and all of our past interviews for shows. You can uh, read those on uh, or get those on wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your you know, uh, whether it's Spotify, if it's uh, go to TownTalkRadio.com, if you go to wherever it is, you can find us, subscribe, you can hear our, this episode, you can listen to past episodes, and we will certainly make sure that uh, we keep you alerted. So my next guest uh, in the uh, in the show here today is DJ Eidson. He's the co-founder and COO of Limitless Minds. Uh, don't forget, we do live tweets. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, at peopleg 2 Use that hashtag talent talk and where they're putting all the best one-liners, all the best information, links to everything. And uh, you can follow us there. Anything that we say that isn't smart, we filter out. But anyways, but you can hear uh, DJ laughing in there today. So DJ, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Hey, what's up, Chris? How's it going? Going great. Going great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your work is, what's important for us to know about you. Uh, so we can know you a little bit better. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show, man. I really, really appreciate it. I would say I'm I'm probably best known uh, for my five children, at least in this area. <laughs> I'm a father of five. Uh, we have uh, kids ages two to 12. And um, so it takes a lot of mental conditioning uh, to be able to, to navigate through that. Uh, but I, I also, I'm a, I'm a co-founder and, uh, and COO of Limitless Minds. And uh, I do some real estate investing and yeah, just, I, I've spent about 20 years now uh, in, in business, um, start out in pharmaceuticals and worked my way up from an intern to a salesperson to a trainer and then led on a local, regional and national level. And yeah, and now, we, now we're doing the Limitless Minds thing, man. And, and so maybe help people understand if they don't know what your company does, what does Limitless Minds Act do for, for people or businesses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. We we basically what we've done. I, I'm a co-founder with uh, Harry Wilson, uh, who I spent some, about the the greater part of this decade uh, in business with uh, in the pharmaceutical uh, arena. Trevor Moad, who is the uh, according to Sports Illustrated the world's best brain trainer, and Russell Wilson, Super Bowl winning quarterback, and uh, and Seattle Seahawk. So uh, and, and so we we form Limitless Minds. Essentially, we take the mental conditioning that they do in sports and that that Russell's done in the NFL uh, with his with his brain trainer, Trevor Moad, and we bring it to businesses like Amazon, U.S. Bank, Johnson and Johnson. The the list goes on and on. But we we get an opportunity not only to do a keynote and teach the fundamentals of thinking, but also pull the training through and really partner with organizations so that they can condition their mind the same way you would condition your body. Right. You don't you don't go to the to the physical gym uh, once once a year and say you're in shape and we feel like the mind is the same way you got to go you got to go on a regular basis you can't just go one time and uh, and we've been in, to, able to do that over the last two and a half years as we're building this business. And it's really interesting um, how athletes can often be the 
sort of uh, introduce people to these new things. And I think it's athletes that are often looking for the next edge, right. Or doing the next things and they're experimenting, right. Whereas maybe the average manager isn't going to be spending time thinking about, you know, how do I tinker with my brain uh, to make myself better. Right. But they see someone else who's at the, at the peak of whatever it is they're doing and they're maybe implementing something. And I, I think LeBron James has been a really good example of this. I mean, he's doing all those ads for calm, that's right? right, and he does stuff with his diet. And he's talking about his his mental approach, and and people hear that, and then they, they go, oh well, okay, well, what's that? And I remember I've had people tell me, well, what's calm? What is that app? And I go, well, okay, here's what, and I start telling him, <laughs> right, well, that's something I do, and I meditate, and you know, yeah. and I I use other apps as uh, probably more than I use that one, but I mean, at least. It's an intro right for a conversation. Yeah. So maybe what what is it leaders might be think want to think about or should be thinking about that they can do or learn or around what you're delivering, right? What you're yeah. bringing to there. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is that, and 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 we've been able to work with some of the best organizations and teams in the country, and and we often say you don't have to be sick to get better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, I think that that's the first thing. Like, you have to have a willingness as a leader or as an individual to want to improve. And, and so, and if you don't, you know, you, you won't be able to gain that competitive advantage. I mean, Russell has a lot of talent. He's a very, you know, very talented uh, uh, football player, but in order for him to get a competitive advantage as, as a 5'10", 5'11", quarterback, he has to, he has to train his mind and train his brain in a certain way. And so he utilizes certain techniques like neutral thinking, um, illusion of choice and working on different behaviors, pressures of privilege. How do you manage pressure? and really do it in a way so that when the moment is big, you're performing at a, at a top-notch level. And so that's what we've been, those are the things that we teach with Limitless Minds to leaders and individuals so that they can be at their peak performance. And, and I, I love that sort of saying, you don't have to be sick, right? I mean, to, to, to in order to, to try to get better. I mean, that it, it's, I think so often people wait for a crisis, they wait for something big to happen in their life in order for them to you know, then decide, well, I'm going to start doing something, right? You find out, you get a health scare. Now I'm going to go to the gym. That's right. Um, I lose my job. Now I'm going to go start learning a new skill. And that's really not how it should be. I mean, we should yep. really be in this a much different uh, setting. But uh, also wanted to kind of kind of ask you about what uh, you were sort of t- describing there about what mm-hmm. Russell's doing with neutral thinking. So maybe could you explain what neutral thinking is? Yeah, so neutral thinking is, is centered around facts. So you, everybody kind of knows what positive thinking is, right? You know, you're in a situation and, you know, you, you want to be as positive as possible. And what we've seen with leadership is that sometimes when a situation, say, for instance, like COVID hits, you know, you know, if you're, if you're saying when COVID hit, oh, we're just going to keep doing things the way we used to, everything's going to be okay, right? That comes off very disingenuous to your team and to the folks around you. Um, so, but, but positive thinking is great, right? When you talk about negative thinking, Negative thinking works 100% of the time. It just works the wrong way, right? And so we know, we know negative thinking is not the way to go. What we teach is neutral, neutral centered in facts. And what it says is like, here's the situation. So in March, when COVID hit, here's the situation. We're going to have to figure out how to do business differently because we're not going to be able, like in our case, we do a lot of live events. Can't do live events anymore. So we had to pivot very quickly and say, how do you take everything that you did live and do it virtually now? And become the best at that in the world. And that's, and that's what we did. And so taking, so, so neutral is centered in fact saying here, the situation is what it is. And, and now we have to be able to do the right behaviors, the right things behind it so that we can ultimately get to our result. A lot of times what you'll see teams and individuals do is they focus so much on the end goal. You know, we want to win. We're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to win. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to beat that team, whatever it is, but it's the behaviors that drive the result. Yeah. And so when you start with neutral, then you go to behaviors, then you get your intended result. And so that's what, that's what we teach. I, I recently finished a fantastic book by Annie Duke, who's a famous poker player. It's called Thinking in Bets. And yeah. she talks about, you know, you do the things to make the right decision. And, and then she's like, the result doesn't matter. Mm. Right. And that's, that's what you're right. talking about. You prepare. That's right. You do everything you can and you got to do your best. You may not end up winning that game. The result. Right. And all you can say is, could I have done anything else to prepare? Could I have made a decision better? Whatever mm-hmm. that would have maybe changed that result. But I can't say, well, I didn't win the game. Therefore, I'm bad. Therefore, my team is bad. Therefore, everything we are prep was wrong. Not necessarily. Right. right? 
you're, yeah. you're not guaranteed. This is not a chess. It's not a mathematical guaranteed. If you do all the things perfect, you're always going to get a perfect result. Um, there's another team of people trying to win too. They do the same thing. <laughs> right. Well, and, and Chris, to your point, you know, you, but you've put yourself in a position to be able to win. Some right. people start the game out and they've talked themselves out of it before the game, even, you know, the ball's even yeah. tipped, right. Before right. the quarters even started, they've already said, you know, I, my market, I, I'm in Detroit, the, you know, the, the Detroit market always stinks, um, you yeah. know, and you know, the, you know, you know, the competition has got a new product. There's no way we're going to be able to do it. COVID hit. Uh, my kids are screaming upstairs and doing homeschool, like all these yeah. reasons why they don't believe that they can win. And essentially, yeah. you, if you start out in that position, yeah, you, you, you're, you're probably right. You're probably not going to win. So it does. It absolutely starts with belief. And then once you get to that neutral and then you go to behaviors, you'll ultimately intend to get the intended result. I remember when I would coached, uh, when I was in college, I would coach a lot of different sports teams. And uh-huh. I always had my athletes. We dress the same. We would walk in a certain way, very serious. Like we set a tone and we were intentionally trying to screw with the other team. We were trying mm-hmm. to get them to be like, oh, look how organized they are. Look how well coached they are. Look how, you know, they're all wearing the same thing. And it would just give a little mental doubt that they could, That's could awesome. they, could they really win this game? And then, you know, I just thought I was some, you know, I was a cute college kid who was trying <laughs> to, you know, play, play, play mind games. And then I right. saw the all blacks one day, the rugby team with that thing they do and they're screaming that's a tribal. Yeah. I think I'm blinking on that. What they, they name yeah, is. And, I know exactly what you're talking um, about though. Yeah. And I mean, that scares the living crap out of you. You're on the other side of that. And you yeah. watch those guys do that. And you're like, well, there is, how could we ever win this game? Right. They're going to slaughter us before it even starts before <laughs> it even starts. That's right. But right. what Chris, the other thing that you did is, is in that process is that you taught your team how to prepare. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned from Russell being really, you know, close to him is that I've got to see him prepare for games. And, and it's amazing. The Tuesday night before a, a Sunday night game, the level of preparation that he does, he knows, he knows the foot that the people lead with the coach that they, they mm-hmm. played for two teams ago, the college they went to, you know, like he knows all of that at a, you know, to a granular, at a granular level. And it's great that he knows it, but what he does a great job of is he has note after note after note for, for his teammates and he teaches it to them. So that level of preparation that you, that you, that you taught your teams, um, even though it was just like a pregame warmup, that preparation, when the pressure's on, that's what makes the the pressure subside. And, and then you can, you can just, you can, you can rely on muscle memory or the plan that you came up with, or just all the skills that you've learned throughout the years. And it's not about the pressure overwhelming you in the moment. So it's something as a college student, you got it. That was, I mean, whether it was, you did it on purpose or it was unintentional, it, it, it worked. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was just as much for my athletes as it was to scare the other team. Right. It made us right. feel connected. <laughs> right. It made us feel right. together. It made us feel like we were on the same page. I, I, I probably must have said this a thousand times when I was coaching basketball. It's like, even if we're running the wrong defense, if we're all doing the correct, the same defense at the same time, that's better than if we were running the right defense. That's like right. Us, us working together and doing it together in the same way is, is the most effective thing we can do. Now, then we get into X's and O's and get really finite stuff later on. That's coach's right. job to take care of that. But if we call this play or we run this defense, we've got to be doing it together. Yeah. Uh, the right way. And absolutely, you know, so uh, as is always the question, you know, it, I think it's it, it's easier to see this in a sports arena. Mm-hmm. It's easier to see this when we are battling in, in this kind of a setting. I think it's yeah. easier to see it when we are trying to solve a really bad problem in our society or, you know, we're volunteering for something. But then when yeah. we show up to like work, right? My yeah. company sells pencils or widgets or whatever, and it's not quite as intense. It's not quite as exciting, right? It's not quite as... Uh, you know, earth shattering or moving to somebody. How do we take what you're mm-hmm. talking about, what you're learning, yeah. and still turn it into something great, even though maybe we're mm-hmm. not a, a professional athlete or curing cancer or saving, right. you know, whatever, right? Yeah, no, you know, I, I, since I spent the majority of my career selling drugs, right, <laughs> right, in pharmaceuticals, right, that's exactly, that's yeah. selling legal drugs, right? No. right. 
Uh, I, I often thought about that. Like, you know, what, what is, what am I, what, what is the, what am I really trying to accomplish here? What's the purpose? And the reality of it is, is that in, in that field, it, it all, be, it, it became about the patients. When I, when I put my focus on the patient, as opposed to a quota or a, a, a medication or something, whatever, that, that helped me drive, that helped drive my purpose and then ultimately my results. And so I think you, for me, and when we started this business, we wrote down one number. I, I got it on my, I got it on my whiteboard in my office. And, and that number was around the lives, the lives of people that we were going to impact, the millions of lives that we were going to impact through Limitless Minds. And so I think that even if, if you're selling pencils, you know, how do you become the best in the world at that so that somebody takes that pencil and, and creates the next Apple or Amazon or whatever? You know what right. I mean? Like, because that, that, that's at the end of the day, somebody's going to use that and going to do something, you know, amazing with it write a book with it, whatever it is. And so like for, I've always, when I put people first, whether as a leader, as a husband, as, as a parent, that, that helps drive me and, and gives me good results. You bring up a fantastic point about people need to understand what is the impact or the output or whatever it is. What difference are they making on their organization, on the customer, on the vendor, on their community, whatever that is. It might be one thing, it might be multiple things. Uh, I remember reading really interesting studies when I was working on my first book, and it was talking about how they got these uh, call centers, right? And this was like telemarketers who were trying to do debt consolidation. It was like they consider like the worst you know, like super high turnover rates, people really struggle because, you know, and you're calling people to say you're in debt, you're in trouble. We have this product that can help you. But they started, they took two groups and they showed one group. This is, gave them real stories. This person used our product. This real result happened. They were able to get out of debt. They were able to do all of the good things that happened. And that group stopped having turnover right? They started getting much higher numbers. They started selling more of their product and helping more people because they understood that the 50 phone calls they made and 49 times I got screamed at or hung up on there might be that one person they actually could help, right? They might actually have a positive out uh, interaction with. And I'm just, I, it feels like inside of most businesses, the average employee doesn't get that feedback. They don't get that information, right? So what should leaders be doing around that to change that? And what, what, what is it you think they need to know? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's incumbent upon leadership to be able to do exactly what you just said. And, and that is to create a vision. And sometimes you just have to slow down to speed up. Mm. And, and we had to do that three weeks ago as an organization. We're a new organization. We, we've been around for two, you know, going on two and a half years. And for, we took 16 hours, four hour slots for four days straight and just poured into our people. We talked about culture. We talked about vision. We talked about, you know, we got as granular as task. You know, we, 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 we sent our employees gifts. We did all the things that build up a certain culture that they could start to see that this is how, this is us as a team and this is how we're impacting people. We brought on three different customers, you know, at all different levels to talk about their experience with us. And the person that was doing social media had no clue that they were impacting the customer in a certain way until right. the customer came on and shared their experience. And so you have to be super intentional as a leader to do that. Um, and, and, and vision casting and creating a vision, it has to be constant. Uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, you, you know, in, in, in that you have to be intentional about how you're communicating on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, one of the things that our organization does is that we we show gratitude every day. We start out every call with gratitude. We've now moved that to Slack and we we start out every day with the very first post you'll see from every single individual on our team is what they're grateful for. Um, and, we, and we've been doing that since day one with our company because we feel it's important. Through that process, once you start to see what's important to people, it's easy as a leader to ride behind that. It's easier as an individual contributor to get behind your teammate once you see what's important to them. And so intentionality is, is huge with leadership. I think oftentimes, and, and I've done this before too, like, you know, as a leader, you'll get frustrated. They just don't want it as much as I do, or, you know, I wish they could just see it my way, you know? And, yeah. and the reality of it is, is that you, you, you know, you may not be communicating the, the right message. Um, you may not be setting the right vision or it may not be clear enough. 
and so and so to 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 slow down to speed up to to show that vision is extremely important i think leaders often forget that the only thing they can control is themselves mm. and it, you know they want to worry about other people and people are at different places in their life and in their work and their careers and all you can do is show up and demonstrate the behavior you want right yeah. communicate the behavior that you want and 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 be that I guess, sort of beacon of, of what it should be instead of just complaining. And people didn't believe me. And now that COVID has hit, they're finally believing me because <laughs> we've been remote for since 2009. And I've been telling everyone, we use Slack and we have a water cooler room. It's where all the entire company has access to that room. Mm -hmm. And that's where we say, thank you. We, we do this thing called a green flag. So someone goes in and says, green flag to John. He really helped me out. You know, okay. he, or I noticed he did this awesome call with a client, totally got them online. You know, and everyone who's online at that moment just come, great job, way to go, green flag. It's just a way to whoever's on that. that moment. It's like a little pat on the back. And that's so public that we are sort of amplifying our thank yous. Or as opposed to if I had just thanked that person one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. that would have been nice, but right. it was one-on-one. -on -one. If I'd done it in front of a team, okay, you know, a few people got to hear it, but the whole company can see it. And the yeah, we we don't we don't measure it, mm -hmm. we don't track it, we don't. No one gets a, a <laughs> gift card for giving extra green flags. No one gets right. a. There's nothing. The right. only thing that's competitive is that you can see that everyone's thanking their teammates, yep. and then they're and so you want to do it. It's contagious, right? It's a good thing, which kind of goes back to sports, right? You see. The, your leader out there saying good job or, or pushing on somebody and, and giving a high five and mm -hmm. it's contagious, right? It, yep, Cause you that's it, right. It can all be seen on the field. And I love so that. It's really great to see you guys are doing yeah, that. Slack you know, as well. and it, yeah. And it's, and listen, again, you go back to March for most companies, cause you guys have been remote for some time now, but like for most companies, they had to adapt to it. And it was, it was one of those things changes, change is a neutral term, but people look <laughs> at it as negative, right? Mm -hmm. Change yeah. is a very neutral term. And yeah. so, so, but with change for me growing up, I went to, I don't know, 10 or 11 different schools. So my mom would always like, I would go to a new school and my mom would go, Hey, guess what? You get to go to a new school and you get to meet all kinds of types of new friends and you get to plan a new basketball team with new teammates. And it was like, so change to me has always been equal to opportunity. So I, I you know, so for me, it's, it's, and you know, going back to, you know, sometimes when you're complaining as a leader internally and you're like, gosh, I wish they could see it my way, that a lot of it has to do around things like that. Like you, you know, certain people, everybody's wired a certain way. But I think with change, though, if people can see that as an opportunity, look at a thing like COVID and say, how can we like, how can I spend more time at home? You know, I was on mm -hmm. a plane four or five days a week. You know, I, 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 you, you wouldn't have heard all that noise that you just heard, <laughs> you know, like, like that, that wasn't, a, that would have been in a hotel room. It had been pretty quiet, but, th but this is giving me an opportunity to be able to make so many more calls, interact with so many more people, uh, be a part of so many different, cause I, cause on a plane, you can't talk on the phone or you're, or you're yeah. focused on the customer that you're seeing live in LA or whatever city that you're in. So there's so much opportunity as a result of this. It's just, you gotta be looking for it. Yeah, I, Absolutely. Well, we're uh, almost out of time here. I really enjoyed talking to you. And we have probably five hours of things you and I can talk about. So That's I it. definitely want to have you come back uh, on the show. If you'll, love if that, you'll, man. I love, yeah. I, love, I love your questions and, and you're very insightful. So, uh, but the two things I want to make sure we ask you, the first is, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out that they might want to consider reading? Yeah. So this is probably, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's old school. Right. But I, I, I read, I start out my day reading the Bible and, and for me, it just gets me grounded in, we talk about truth for me, that's my truth. And, and, um, and, and helps guide me through different situations and not to be anxious or to show people love and all the different things. So that, that's, that's my go-to. I'm actually reading a book right now called, uh, you know, uh, be the bridge uh, by Latasha Morris. And so um, that, that's about pursuing God's heart for racial uh, reconciliation, um, really talking about the acknowledgement of things that are happening uh, racially in our society, but also the solutions that you can do in your community. So I'm going through mm -hmm. a group with community leaders here in Cleveland to try, start to see what, 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 let's acknowledge what's happened, but also let's come up with some solutions on how we can, you know, get better. And right. that, that's been an awesome, an awesome book that I'm reading here recently.
Yeah, and, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to focus. We we have to recognize what's wrong. We have to recognize what's happened. But you know, I I often think if someone came to me and said I have a problem in my company, I'd be a great. What solutions have you come up with? Right? What have mm-hmm. you? What what things have you thought about do, doing? Help me. Don't just tell yeah. me what's wrong. Tell me what we can do to fix it. And it's a really great way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've realized with that, I think we kind of have rushed, and I'm I'm guilty of this we've rushed to the solution so fast that if you don't really know the true problem, you can't come up with a really awesome solution. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, and so like, I think like starting to, starting to get and understand the history of race in the United States is extremely important if we're going to come up with really strong, you know, solutions. And then we're, we're dealing with this even like, you know, we talk about it, you know, we talked about it at our retreat that we had, we, we talk about it in our hiring process, you know, you, you know, when you talk about talent, like how are you making it so that you're getting a diverse pool of candidates so that your team looks like the companies that you work with. For instance, right. I work, we work with Johnson & Johnson. If, if we have just one type of person at, on, on stage at, and, and we're looking out over Johnson & Johnson, there's women, black, brown, white, all that, and that we're going to have blind spots if we don't have a diverse group. Um, there's okay. just going to be things that we miss in our content. And so, so that's been something that's been really, really important and, and, you know, things that I'm reading and trying to get a, a you know, better handle on. Final question, because we do need to wrap this up is how can people find out more about you and your company if they're interested in working with you? Yeah. So Limitless Minds with thinkbig-gofar.com is the company, uh, Limitless Minds. Uh, you can follow me, DJ Eitzen on LinkedIn. Uh, also DJ under slash Eitzen. Um, that's E-I-D-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but yeah, just um, Trevor Moad, uh, Harry Wilson, Russell Wilson, everybody follows him. <laughs> he doesn't need any more followers, but um, <laughs> we're doing amazing things, working with some of the best companies and would love to work with, uh, you know, work with you. So, you know, hit me up, DM me, and I, I will definitely get back to you. Fantastic, DJ. Like I said, I'd love to have you come back on the show today. And thank you so much for being a part of it and sharing all the great work that you're doing over there. Yeah, thank you. And shout out to Angela. She is awesome. She's worked with Anna on our team and really got everything set up. You got a great team, man, and we appreciate you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully, you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 